Today is December 26th, which means it's a sad day because Christmas is over. Yesterday being Christmas meant that today, on the 26th, the radio stations have stopped playing Christmas music. It means that tomorrow, in church here, our Christmas decorations are going to go down. At our homes, Christmas decorations are going to be taken down soon. My guess is you don't really have that many Christmas parties left either anymore. Maybe a few, but for the most part, Christmas has come, we've made the big push, and now we're kind of decompressing and closing up Christmas. And it's sad. Well, maybe not for all of us. Maybe some of us are okay with that. Maybe some of us think the Christmas season's too long, we're ready to move on, season's done, let's, let's get on to the next season. But for others of us, it's, it's a sad moment. And so before we leave Christmas... Before we close up the book on Christmas here at Divine Savior, let's take one more day to focus on Christmas and how Jesus came to us on that very first Christmas. And we're going to do so by looking at Matthew chapter 1. Before we jump in, let me give you the, uh, a little background of Matthew. Matthew was originally a tax collector. He was a Jewish person. He was a tax collector uh, that Jesus called to be his disciple and changed his name from Levi to Matthew. Matthew was a Jew, and after Jesus died, rose again, ascended into heaven. Matthew writes his gospel, his biography of Jesus, and he's writing to a Jewish audience trying to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, the very opening section of Matthew, to see what we can learn about Jesus coming to us. Let's jump in. I see some of you already looking at your page, wondering, is this actually what we're supposed to be looking at today? Yes, Matthew chapter 1, we are looking at the genealogy of Jesus. So let me read it for us. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. And his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon... Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called Messiah. 
Thus there are 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. All right, time for a little honesty. Raise your hand if you stopped listening. (laughs) It's just name after name, right? It's just one person after another. And uh, on top of it, most of them we don't even recognize. Uh, There's some big ones in there, Abraham, David, uh, Rahab, Solomon. Sure, we recognize those names, but especially when you get to the later half, that second column over there, uh, not many are we familiar with. And so what do we get from this? Uh, What do we learn about our Savior from this genealogy And why does this genealogy matter to us today about Jesus coming into the world? We're going to cover two points today that we're going to take home from this genealogy. And here's our first one. Jesus comes to us. It's a historical fact. Notice how Matthew starts his uh, gospel and how he doesn't. He doesn't start a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. Jesus! He doesn't start once upon a time. He doesn't do that. He starts with a historical group of people, a historical line, people that the Jewish audience would all know. They know Abraham. He's a historical figure. David, historical figure. All these people could be traced to the Jewish uh, family line. And from this Jewish family line came Jesus at a specific time, after the Babylonian captivity. This wasn't just a story made up. This was a real historical person that is a central figure to Matthew's gospel, Jesus. And his birth was a historical fact from a historical line. And that's great news for you and me. If this was just a fairy tale, this is just like a Disney movie or Disney story, once upon a time type of thing. Uh, Three things that that would mean for us. Number one, the story of Jesus is nothing more than entertainment if that's the case. If this isn't a historical account, if it's not, then it's like we go to a movie and watch a movie and we leave and, and think, wow, I was entertained. That was good. But that's it. Number two, we could possibly draw out some application for our life, kind of like Aesop's fable where there's there's a a moral to the story where you look at the moral and say, oh, okay, I'm going to apply that to my life. And we could do that with, with the story of Jesus if it's not a historical account. But number three, if this is a fairy tale, if it's made up, if Jesus' birth is, is all made up, do you know what it means for you and me? We can't be sure of our salvation. Because if his birth was made up, then his death was made up, and his resurrection was made up, and then you and I are left here thinking, how do I get to heaven? And the answer would be ourself. It would be how well you keep God's law, how many good deeds you do, how many good works you do, how many works of righteousness that you do, it would be all up to you. And do you know what kind of assurance you can have then? 
None. You can never know if you've done enough. And you can't. Because good works can't make up for your sin. My good works can't make up for my sins. It's impossible. And that's why it's such good news that Matthew starts his, genealogy, or his, his gospel with a genealogy. Because it places Jesus in a historical moment, from a historical line, and his birth was then a historical fact. The shepherds that were living out in the fields were legit people who went to go see Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. That was a historical fact, and we know it because this wasn't a fairy tale. This was set in a historical setting. And because his birth was a historical fact, that means that we know his death was a historical fact. Jesus actually died at the hands of the Romans, crucified. Because it's not set in a once upon a time fairy tale, it's a historical fact. And that means that because he died, Scripture is historically accurate when the Scriptures say that through his death, he made atonement for our sins. You can be sure of that. And because his birth was a fact, his death was fact, you can be sure that his resurrection was a fact. You can know that Jesus actually rose from the dead. You can know that when Scripture, and later on in Matthew, when it talks about those who witnessed the resurrected Jesus, that that was historically accurate and factual because this isn't a fairy tale. It was placed in a historical time with historical people, with a historical birth, death, and resurrection. Because it's historical, it's history, it's factual, you can be sure of your forgiveness. You can be sure of the resurrection and your peace with God. That's the first thing we draw out from this genealogy is that it's a historical fact. It's, it's not a fairy tale. But here's the other thing we learn. Jesus comes to us from a line of sinners for a line of sinners. Imagine for a second that you're God. Imagine that you're God from eternity, that you've created all of this world, you created people, and now you're going to step into human history. Because that's what Jesus did. Uh, it wasn't by accident that Jesus was born to the Jewish family line. Uh, he chose the family that he was going to be a part of. Now imagine you're God. If you were going to choose a family to come from, what would their resume look like? Probably a, a family with some big-time heroes. Probably a family that from the outside looking in looks very successful. That has probably done some big-time good for the world. That you look at all the people in that family and you say, man, that is a good family. Good from the outside. They're good-hearted people. It's no wonder I would choose them to be a part of. And yet Jesus doesn't do that. He picks a family that's like every other family, a line of sinners. Let's just consider a couple of them this morning. Abraham. We know that name. Abraham. A strong, faithful man, right? True. 
And yet on the pages of Scripture, what do we see? Abraham uh, twice lied about his wife being his wife and said she was his sister to save his skin. And it put his wife in two very compromising situations, two bad situations as two kings took her to be their wife. Later on in life, uh, Abraham decided that uh, he stopped trusting God's promise that God was going to give him a son. And so he took Hagar, his wife's concubine, slept with her, had Ishmael, his son. When God finally fulfilled the promise and he had Isaac, what did Abraham do with Hagar and Ishmael, his son? Sent them away. Pretty much abandoned them. And at that time, uh, women couldn't work. They had no way of making a living. From the outside looking in, if God didn't intervene, they would have died. How about Jacob? Isaac's son. Jacob was a deceiver. He deceived his brother, deceived his blind father, deceived his uncle. Uh, Then later on, he had 12 sons, and one of those sons uh, he favored so much that the others sold him into slavery and then staged his death so that they didn't have to deal with him anymore. That's how much Jacob, dad, favorited Joseph. Judah. Judah was Jacob's fourth son. Uh, Judah had a son that he gave in marriage to a woman named Tamar. His son died. And in that culture, the, the tradition was that you would give the next oldest son to the widow so that she was provided for. So Jacob or J- Judah gave his next son to Tamar, who also died. And so uh, Judah looks and he says, look, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not giving you a third son. There's something wrong with you, Tamar, that my sons keep dying. And so what does Tamar do? She dresses up like a prostitute and goes to where Judah goes to get prostitutes. She knew exactly where Judah was going to be, and he hired his own daughter-in-law to be his prostitute. Uh, It definitely seems from Scripture that you can get the idea that this wasn't the first time Judah frequented this establishment. You got Rahab who actually was a prostitute in Jericho. Uh, She was part of the land of Canaan. Uh, She was a prostitute. Israelites came in. They spared her. She married into uh, an Israelite family in the line of the Savior. King David premeditated uh, adultery, premeditated murder. And then finally, up at the top right, Manasseh, who was king over uh, Judah and was an idolater. He worshipped false gods. And part of that uh, worship was to offer your son as a sacrifice to the God. And so he burned him alive in a fire, in idolatry, in the line of the Savior. Jesus came from this family. Jesus chose this family to come from. He came from sinners for sinners. I may not know your background. I may not know 
the sins that you struggle with, that you've committed in the past, but I know the sins of the people in this family line because they're recorded for us on the pages of Scripture. And why are they recorded for us on the pages of Scripture? So you and I may know that Jesus came from a line of sinners for a line of sinners like you and me. You may have abandoned your family or you may have been perceived as abandoning your family. You may be like King David and committed adultery. You may be like uh, Abraham and you lost faith and lied. You may be like Jacob and a deceiver. You may be like Manasseh and maybe not uh, offering your children as as sacrifices, but an idolater worshiping other gods. But Jesus came for you and for me, for sinners like you and me. He came from a line of sinners for a line of sinners. So he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus came from this family line for one purpose, and that's what we heard in the letter to the Hebrews, didn't we? He came to make atonement for our sins. Payment. As messed up as we see this family line, we think, man, they are really messed up. And there's some big sins on that, on that uh, genealogy. And yet Jesus came to atone for every single one of their sins. To pay the price to God to forgive them their sins. And the same is true for you. Jesus came to forgive each and every one of your sins through his life, death, and resurrection. And that's what he accomplished. So that you stand before God. And Jesus says, Hey God, Stephen Apt, he's my brother. You can fill in your name. And Jesus says, He's my brother. She's my sister. Washed in my blood. Because he came from a line of sinners for a line of sinners. If you're watching online, if you're here today, and you're not a Christian or or you're questioning Christianity, know that Jesus isn't ashamed of you. He's come to die, to live and die, and rise from the dead to remove all of your sins. That he wants to stand before God and he wants you to be part of his family. And he shows us that because he came from a line of sinners for a line of sinners like you and me. Through faith in Jesus, he calls you his brother and sister for eternity. If you're a Christian today, know that you are part of that family, not because of how good you live, not because of your your resume, your pedigree. It's solely by the grace of God that he sent his one and only son into the world for sinners like you and me to atone for our sins. And it's because of him that we are part of his family forever. And so as we look at the genealogy, next, next time we're flipping through the, our, our Bibles and we get to the genealogy, we're so tempted to just skip it, but let's stop and just soak it in for a moment. We may not know the names, but we know that it was a historical fact, that it's there to let us know that Jesus came from a historical line at a historical time, from a line of sinners, for a line of sinners, and it shows us the grace of our God that Jesus comes to us. It's a historical fact. And he came for sinners like you and like me. May God be praised. Let's pray. Dear Jesus,
uh, what a privilege it is to look at this genealogy. Uh, it's a bunch of names, many we don't know, and yet the ones we do know, we know that uh, on the pages of Scripture are recorded their sins. You could have picked any family to come from, and yet you chose this family uh, because they're like every other family, sinners. And uh, what this highlights is your grace, your undeserved love that you have for sinners like us, that you would come from us and for us uh, to atone for our sins, to break hold uh, death so that we don't have to live in fear of death anymore because we have peace with God now and forever. Help us to treasure you. Help us to uh, be joyful in the grace that you have for us once again. Uh, let us continue to be in the Christmas joy, not just today, but forever, because our Savior, you, have been born to take away our sin. We ask all this in your name. Amen.